Shabbat Shalom. Uh, I'm reading from Matthew 18, verses 1 through 18. At that time, the, the disciples came to Yeshua and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. <clears throat> but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. World to the, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. In your hand or your foot, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, Cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does, not he, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go search for the one that is strained? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your, so it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. If your brother sins, Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have <clears throat> won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even in the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Thank you, Bixie. Every um, Tuesday, we have the joy, sometimes the uh, challenge um, to care for our granddaughter who is five months old and is teething. Actually, uh, Joy does most of that, but ever so often 
grandpa has to be uh, uh, shanghaied into service and uh, Joy and I have been through this uh, more than once but uh, you know every child is uh, unique and uh, Skyla is uh, Miss Personality um, and uh, it's intriguing for me to uh, watch her going from a uh, ear-to-ear kind of a grin um, to somewhat of a pucker to a fidgety, uh, fidgeting kind of action um, to a noise uh, that is at first cooing and then cranks up the volume um, into the wah machine. And um, so you try to do all kinds of things. You know, you, uh, you hold her, uh, you sing to her, you uh, um, dance to her in ways that I would not do here in public. Um, you endeavor to, uh, A, see what's going on with, with her little brain. And I'm not a uh, baby psychologist. And uh, B, um, try to respond to that. And so um, sometimes you have success, sometimes you don't. And, uh, you know, as people get older, uh, fortunately, much of the time it's a little simpler, at least in communication. but you certainly can't take people and um, give them a bottle and burp them and see about their, uh, what's going on with them. And they uh, crank up their wah machine in, in ways that are a little different. And um, it's been intriguing for me in ministry to see how different folks react. And likewise, they start out real happy and uh, telling you that you are the cat's meow and then over a period of time um, find out that you are not quite the cat's meow. Um, Part of that, of course, is conflict. And um, I'm convinced, folks, that conflict is something that God uses to bring about maturation and growth in our life. I know you may uh, look at me somewhat askance and think that I'm a little mishuggy. Um, But this is all part of the instruction, God's Torah, that he has for us in terms of how we live life in general. I mean, you certainly see that in the five books of Moses um, where everything is spelled out for the people from the moment they get up in the morning till they go to bed at night, what they, what they wear, what they eat, um, everything is defined in, in, in the Torah for the people of Israel. And um, likewise for us, God sees to it that the major areas of life are addressed in the Word of God. The problem isn't 
with what Scripture has or it doesn't have. The problem much of the time is the fact that we are really not willing to sit and read and process and digest and actually obey the Word of God. So this is the uh, negative aspect of unity. We've been talking about the positive aspect of unity. Uh, first of all, in John 17, how that unity, first of all, begins with God, like everything else. Um, Yeshua tells us that we are to be one as He is one. He commands us to be one. And last Shabbat, we looked at Philippians 2 and saw how that unity, practically speaking, has to do with us putting ourselves off to the side and paying attention to somebody else. And also, of course, uh, we saw the ultimate example of what is involved in putting other people first, and we saw that with Yeshua. Um, the purpose for the two weeks that we spent looking at that is that we often think when we consider unity, we typically go to the negative and say unity is not disunity. So it was, I felt it was important for us to, first of all, see what the Word of God does say positively about unity, what unity looks like, and then come back and talk about the, the negative, in other words, what unity is not. Um, in other words, how we address conflict properly, because reality is uh, you live long enough and you go through at least one period of conflict, sometimes two, three, there, there are days when it feels like um, you have more than your fair share of conflict. My point simply in all of this is that conflict happens. And so the question we want to ask ourselves is simply this, is God in control when conflict takes place? It happens in every single family. Um, Tongue-in-cheek, I mentioned about Skyla, our granddaughter, how that she has her version of conflict. Um, siblings squabble, parents disagree, and of course it happens in a congregational mishpacha. And we're no exception. Uh, we've had at least our fair share of conflict. But, but again, the issue for us is simply this. How do we handle conflict? Do we come to this and say, okay, uh, God is not in control. Um, there is a problem. I'm going to fix it. Lord knows I've been there. I have several closets full of T-shirts. And at some point, you get the fact that either you learn to trust God in conflict situations, or else, as you go through potential minefields, they will explode if God is not in control or if you don't allow Him. Um, my conviction, folks, is simply this, that a healthy relationship, a healthy congregation, grows through conflict. 
we learn to see relationships deepen. We learn to see trust reestablished. And we learn, most of all, to obey God. Because the Lord has very specific, very definite set of instructions for us that cover this issue of how we deal with conflict. So we can either listen to what the Lord has to say and obey Him and receive the blessing in this area, or else we can go off on our own and um, break our teeth, as it were. I'm not implying that when we do follow what the Lord has to say, the other person then instantly becomes a saint. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Any more than we instantly become saints. It's a process. It's a process of hearing what God has to say, learning to obey it by the Spirit, and then receiving God's grace, God's smile upon us, regardless of how things turn out with a particular individual, we know that in the very least, we listen to the Lord and we endeavor to obey Him and we know because of that, we have His blessing. It's a simple fact scripturally that there's blessing in obeying God. Whether it seems to turn out just the way we want to or whether it blows up in the face. In fact, more often than not, when we take steps of faith and endeavor to follow God and obey Him, there are times when it seems like everything blows up in our face and we step back and, and we say, I uh, really shouldn't have done that. I really would have been better off trying to manage things by my own, my own strategy, my own uh, approach. And so for us, this whole area of conflict resolution, reconciliation, and putting into practice the fact that the Lord is Adonai Shalom, He is the God of peace and wholeness, is hugely important for us. We who are in leadership at Yeshua Tzion are expecting, we hold ourselves accountable uh, in this area that we are committed whenever there's conflict involving us. We're committed, A, to put a ton of prayer into it and B, to endeavor to follow what the Word of God has to say. That, by the way, is why we spend a whole membership class dealing with the subject. Again, I'm convinced that a healthy congregation, a healthy relationship is based on the fact that people know how to address conflicts. So first of all, Yeshua begins by um, having children come to him. And the disciples had ego issues. Do you notice that? There's a whole bunch of times when we see Yeshua's disciples getting to this shtick of who's the greater, who's the greatest. Um, sort of like um, a terrible example of Muhammad Ali on steroids. You know, I'm the greatest. And so Yeshua brings the children and says, uh, brings a child and, and says to his disciples, 
Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's a very strong statement. Now, what does Yeshua mean by that? Does he mean that, that we scream and holler like, uh, like a baby or that, that we um, pitch a fit like children do sometimes um, or refuse to listen? What, is, what, is, what does Yeshua mean when he, when he exhorts his disciples to become like children? I believe that the simple answer to that is the simplicity and innocence that children have. They haven't lived long enough to become jaded and to become cynical through life experiences because they've been because we as adults go through negative experiences, we get hurt and we build walls and we tend to be distrustful of folks. Keep people at arm's length. And so Yeshua is basically saying that part of what God expects from us is to have a soft heart. That, by the way, is what the new covenant, the Lord says, I will replace the heart of your stony portions with a heart of flesh. Softness, compassion, mercy, etc., etc. Second of all, I wanted to point out in verse 4, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, notice the fact that what, what the Word of God does is it gives us commands that are counterintuitive. You know, for us, uh, if, if someone is the greatest, then it's someone who struts the, their stuff and um, learns to thrust themselves forward and so on and so forth. And Yeshua gives us the instruction that is exactly the opposite. Uh, unless you become humble. Humble, by the way, as you know, is not a major value for our society. But, but God demands humility from us because He is personally opposed to those who are proud and arrogant. In other words, God sets his face against those who are arrogant and he gives grace. He's, he works and is compassionate with those who are humble. Part of the picture here is that children depend on, on grown-ups, on their parents, to take care of them. And part of what Yeshua is talking about here is a childlike faith that we often move away from because we're convinced on one level. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here. But we're convinced on a basic level that God will not take care of us. Therefore, the only option we have is to take care of ourselves. And Yeshua says, no, you have to change. You have to turn from that perspective and learn to be like children. Verse 6. The, the word of God demands that we learn to honor and value those who are weak. But if anyone causes any of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck 
and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is a, a scripture, folks, that scares me because I'm aware of the fact that we who have spiritual authority are required by God to give an account to him for the impact we make on other people. And that if we cause somebody to stumble because of our words or actions, what Yeshua is saying is that we're going to be held accountable to God. Serious stuff. In verse 10, Yeshua said, See to it that you do not look down and despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Without delving into the mystery of the angels in heaven and so on and so forth, Yeshua's point is simply this. Our inclination is not to honor those who are weak. We look at the folks who are strong and dynamic and charismatic and so on. We honor them. We, we put them on a pedestal. We consider them to be special and so on and so forth. Then we look at someone who is weak and, and who doesn't have those things. And we tend to despise them. Not that we say that to their face, but we have the attitude where we look at them and say, hmm, this person... And by the way, Yiddish is such a wonderful language for put-downs. Nebish is a classic word that basically means he is a nobody. Um, And and by the way, the stand-up comedians um, have uh, PhDs in putting people down. And the Jewish ones use all kinds of Jewish expressions. Um, That's the polar opposite to the model we see in the Word of God. God expects us to honor those who are weak. There are all kinds of examples of statements, and I want to rattle through a number of those. Uh, And by the way, society is known by, by how it treats its weak So in Romans 14, Paul says, Accept him who is weak in faith without passing judgment. This is Romans 14.1. Then Romans 14.15, If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother. Then verse 15, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Then in 15.1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And by the way, this is not an invitation for us to compare ourselves with other people and say, hmm, look at me, I'm strong. Um, but simply look at someone that, obvi- that is obviously uh, hurting, struggling, recognize the fact that we our fellow strugglers, that we have areas where we fall down and that at any given time, if someone were to look at us in our moments of weakness, we would not look particularly attractive. 
So we look at, at each other and recognize the fact that the Word of God says that we are to honor them and give special care to those who are struggling. See the same kind of thing in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says we treat those that are weaker with special honor. You don't need to do that for, for those who are strong because they obviously already receive all kinds of honor to begin with. So take-home message from that portion is when we interact with one another, we need to guard against attitudes of despising or looking down on people because that's part of the dynamics of what causes conflict. And furthermore, Yeshua says, he gives us the example of a shepherd, a man who owns a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. Strategically, you would say, it doesn't make a particle of sense to leave 99 behind and go pursue the one that's over, over here that is struggling and going off the cliff. And from a strategic point of view, you say, ah, whatever, let them go off the cliff, let the wolves get them, let them fall um, into a pit. And the Word of God gives us the exact opposite of that. That because we have the Lord's heart in us, we pay attention to the folks who are struggling and who need extra care and extra honor. <clears throat> Yeshua then continues in verse 8. And by the way, all this uh, is going to be leading to verse 15. So just bear with me if you're not quite seeing the, the threads here. Verse 8, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for, for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. You say, Lord have mercy. That's a little extreme. Uh, it's, and, and by the way, one time I remember 30 years ago, a fellow walked into a congregation I was a part of and was missing an eye, and he explained that that's exactly what happened. Um, Yeshua's point simply is as you recognize that there are things in your life that are not of God, you don't want to feed them because the things that you feed are the things that grow and become stronger. You don't want to feed the stuff in your life that you know is out of order and is garbage. You want to feed the things that are of God you want to point your nose in that direction. You want to invest your energy and time into the things that bring about extra growth in your relationship with God, extra growth into maturity in your faith, relationship with God. That's what you want to feed. You don't want to feed the things that are ugly. In fact, Yeshua is very emphatic. When you know that there are things that you have no business messing with, you need to stop doing them rather than saying, oh, okay, well, it's not so bad, really. 
And we really don't need to, to give you a catalog of evils because each one of us has stuff that we wrestle with that we know is not of God. And I, I, I don't believe I need to point out the big, bad, ugly sins. We all have them. Yeshua's point is, you deal with it. Uh, the word that's translated sin here literally means uh, stumbling and falling into a pit. That's the word from which we get scandal. You, you've, you've heard the, the, the um, idea of, of, of a scandal happening. Well, it comes from that word, scandalizo. Um, falling to a pit. You don't want to do that. You want to have zero tolerance of sin. Why? Because God is a holy God. You want to be a holy person. I assume that all of us who are here, because we're here to worship the Lord, have a desire to learn how to walk in His ways, both positively, the positive things, and also the negatively, the things that don't belong to a child of God. And this very much what Yeshua is saying, you deal decisively with things that you know have no business being in your life. Part of that, of course, is how we relate to other folks, how we tolerate conflict. And folks, this is the one area in, in ministry that I, I have been baffled by as I've been observing people, well, as I've observed myself. It is so hard for us to obey Yeshua in this particular area. And he's very emphatic, very clear about the fact that dealing with conflict is something that we cannot allow to go on and on and on, month after month, year after year. Matthew 5.23, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now again, the same thing as what Yeshua is saying in Matthew 18. You deal decisively. Even to the point of if you are worshiping God and you realize that you have a problem with a brother or sister, you deal with it. By the way, that doesn't mean you get out of worship service. Um, there is a special exception there. Uh, same thing in, in Luke 17. Yeshua says, watch yourself. Luke 17, 3. Watch yourself if your brother sins. Rebuke him. In other words, tell him what it is. Lay the evidence before him or her and say, you know, you offended me. Now, Obviously, we can argue back and forth and back and forth about um, what one person considers sins is not somebody else's sin. We don't need to go there. The point is, if an offense is given, it needs to be dealt with. And you know, sometimes it's us. Stuff that just bubbles up from ourselves. You know, you have a bad day. 
and people press you and then it doesn't take much to look at someone and blow up. Other times, there's clearly involvement of spiritual darkness, powers of darkness that are involved. You get the sense that somebody is sprinkling itching powder. You know, that, that you look at someone and um, you say, well, they're looking funny at me. They must think I'm, I'm awful. Well, I'm going to have to get up and I'm going to need to tell them what I think of them that's not right for them to look at me funny. And it kind of goes back and forth and back and forth. This has been the week like that. And so I had this um, incredibly profound and moving um, clip that I absolutely had to share with you. So let's turn off the lights and show that, please. You get on back to the wagon. I'll tend to you later. Now for this young whippersnapper. Now, no harm has been done. And young Ben here is one of the nicest boys in the territory, so just put down that shotgun I'll and let's teach him to fool with Mike. Now, we'll all calm down. Boss, he's just a little excited. I know, I know. I'm going to use good judgment. I haven't lost my temper in 40 years. But, Pilgrim, you caused a lot of trouble this morning. Might have got somebody killed. And somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. But I won't. I won't. The hell I will. Atlantic Rider! That's a, uh, an example of how not to deal with, biblically, with conflict. <laughs> yeah, well, Yeshua says to go, but he didn't say to, uh, uh, to express love on the end of a fist. Um, you notice, by the way, that as they were getting involved in expressing their feelings... They all descended into the mud. That, folks, is what happens to us. When we choose to let loose our feelings instead of dealing with them in a way that honors the Lord, then that's part of what happens. We get covered with mud. And so Yeshua gives us 
what I consider to be common sense kind of instruction. Again, this is one of uh, two other passages, probably the most involved one, that talks about how you deal with conflict. Now, I would be lying to you if I were to stand here and say that in every single situation, I have followed Yeshua's instruction right down, right down to, to the letter in every single situation. And, but this is where we p- want to point our noses, folks. In confidence, not in ourself, in our ability but simply in confidence in the Lord that as we endeavor to follow and obey Him, He will empower us by the Spirit to do what is right. A couple things here I just want to point out in verse 15. I'd like to park here for a while. First of all, He says, go. In other words, this is a command. He says, take the initiative. Don't wait for the other person to come to you and say, well... He, is now, he or she are not willing to come talk to me. The expectation on God's part upon us is that we would take the initiative. Second of all, he says, just between the two of you. In other words, you don't get on, on the phone, you don't get on Facebook, you, you don't get on uh, the internet and tell everybody and their mother about how so-and-so offended you. What is Yeshua saying here? Just between the two of you, person to person, eyeball to eyeball. And yes, there are times when you don't have the ability to sit down with a person face to face and you have to do something lesser, like a phone call, but please, please, please do not use electronic means, social media as the means to address deep and weighty and painful issues with a brother or sister. It just exacerbates it. It brings about what we saw here in this funny clip. And the person needs to hear from you rather to to hear it from somebody else. And yes, there are times when you feel just tied up in knots and you don't know how to deal with it, then you go find someone who is trustworthy, who is a mature believer, who will listen to you and, and pray with you and give you God's counsel and would encourage you to do what Yeshua is saying here and then you do it. Then Yeshua said, show him or her their fault. Again, it means to lay the evidence before them and say, this is how I see things. Yeshua isn't saying, sit in judgment as judge, jury, and executioner upon them. You and I have absolutely no business evaluating a person's motives. What's in their heart? The only one who can do that is God. He's the only one who has all the facts, all the detail, all the information. 
and is able to say, yes, this is exactly what's going on. You and I have a slice of the pie, a slice of the information. And furthermore, it's not as if we approach it absolutely logically and spiritually and so on. You know, we are carried along with the passion of our frustration and our anger, not only what happened here, but also what happened here, here, here. And you want to stand up and say, uh, there was a movie, New York, New York, where everybody opened the window and said, I am as mad as hell, it's not going to happen to me again. And you have the attitude where you say, you basically say that, and, and that's not what Yeshua calls us to do, is he? You come in humility, recognizing that, okay, maybe, just maybe, possibly, not 100% of the evil is on the other person's side, but maybe you have, eh, scooch, 2 3%, 5%, 50% of wrong on your side. You come with humility. You recognize the fact that God is the righteous judge. And remember in, in Scripture that when we presume to sit in judgment on a brother or sister, then we are putting ourselves in God's seat. And the Lord isn't too happy with that because what it's saying is if we presume to do that, we are actually putting ourselves under God's judgment. And, and by the way, remember that the word judge, both in Hebrew and in Greek, has a range of meaning, everything from evaluate to make a determination, conviction, and then pass judgment and suggest a sentence. You know, Lord, um, I know you love them, but please cause their teeth to fall out and uh, <laughs> to have a flat tire because they offended me. But Paul says in Romans 14, who are you to judge? And that's repeated a number of times. This is in, in 14.4 and then 14.10. Then why do you judge your brother? Because we will all stand before the Lord's bima, God's evaluation seat. Then 14.13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. So yes, we need to evaluate. We need to ask God to give us discernment and wisdom, which he will do. However, we need to step back from the attitude that says, I know exactly what's going on. I know what so-and-so needs to get. No, Yeshua says, you come, you talk to the individual. You tell him what took place the way you understand it. And then remember that Yeshua expects us to come by faith. We cannot come and approach the brother or sister and, and in our hearts say, well, they're rotten, no good, they'll never change, and um, it's essentially a waste of time coming talking to them, but the Lord tells me to do that, so I have no choice. So here goes. Come by faith. The Word of God says whatever we do that is not driven by faith Basic trust in God is of sin. 
Okay, so we come to the we come to the person, and Yeshua says, "You have the potential for a win-win proposition. You have the potential to see this brother or sister won over to you." And 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 the word there has the sense of gaining profit, having having um, return on your investment. Because the person who offended you has the possibility to listen. And remember that the word for listen, both in Hebrew and Greek, has the sense of listening with intent to respond and act upon. You come in faith, not in the person, you come in faith in the Lord. Yeshua says, it, when you do that, you have the, the likelihood of winning your brother or sister over. Why do I say that, that that's a win-win proposition? Because it not only brings about restoration between the two of us, the two of you, but it is also honoring the Father, and it is bringing about the growth and expansion of the kingdom of God. Because when that happens, then the two of you have a story to tell to others about how God worked His redemption and restoration in your life. But then you can always say, I'm not going there. It hurts too much. And he or she are skunks. Uh, they've hurt me. I, am, um, I'm, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. And um, they need to come to me on their hands and knees preferably <laughs> and uh, apologize for the evil they perpetrated on me. And then I will consider apologizing to them. No, no. Yeshua said, you come humbly like a child and you're willing to express, yes, what happened, but you're also willing to hear and you're willing to forgive and you're willing to ask for forgiveness. That, folks, is biblical Reconciliation. It's a win-win proposition. Now, does it always happen? No, it doesn't. Does the fact that it doesn't follow in that particular track mean that God is not at work and that God is handicapped? No, it does not. I want to finish with an example, personal example. And some of the names and places will be changed to um, spare the um, guilty, the innocent, whatever. Um, most of you know that we were in a previous congregation before Yeshua Tzion and uh, things went south and I endeavor to communicate my piece of it and it was pretty pathetic. It really didn't follow Matthew 18 but it was kind of an effort to 
do something. And of course, it was poorly received. And after we left and were uh, in a church for a while, we began Yeshua Tzion. I saw the individual, we talked, and the, the message was, well, glad you're starting. If there's anything I can do to help you, fine. And uh, then things went further south. And um, I would be lying if I, if I were to say to you that I was, uh, at midnight, I was rejoicing and singing hymns. Um, I was angry. I was absolutely angry. Not just because of what happened in that situation, but because of what happened here, here, and here. And I finally had released to get it out. The volcano-ish, you know what I'm talking about? You stuff, 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 stuff some more. Then it all comes boiling out. And, um, and I was in a position to, to lead a, a mishpacha, a congregation. So you can understand why God Almighty wasn't particularly delighted with that. And at some point, Abba Father has a way of communicating one way or the other. And at some point I realized that the Lord was not pleased with bitterness and anger, unresolved anger. So we started to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray some more because it didn't, there, there didn't seem to, to be any simple or any doable way of following what Yeshua is saying here. Again, I'm, I'm giving you the story. I'm not, I'm not airbrushing it or, or, or giving you a commentary. That's the way it happened. And God is faithful, folks. God is faithful. Because he knew that our heart was for unity and for reconciliation. And at some point, it began. It wasn't exactly what Yeshua says here. But he opened a door, and the message was, I opened a door, walk through it. I said, okay, Lord, I'll walk through it. And it was a process. It took time. But God had gotten a hold of my heart, our heart, to see to it that it was change. And folks, it grieves me, it grieves me, to see fellow believers go month in, month out, year in, year out with this package that they're carrying because they're refusing to listen to what Yeshua is saying and be serious about reconciling. Again, this is the ideal. doesn't always happen according to the ideal, but it's not our place to say it's not happening according to, to the ideal. I'm going to have nothing to do with it. You see the heart of God. You say, I'm going to follow in that path. And you pray that God would empower you to obey Him. And then you watch and see what happens, not with the other person, but what happens with you? Yeah. And folks, I have to tell you, 
that, that, uh, to have the 800-pound gorilla of bitterness and anger lifted is, is, is awesome. It's incredible. God gives you compassion for the other person and you see them and you begin to see them as Yeshua sees them. You begin to have compassion on them, begin to pray for them. Then you begin to wait for God to open all kinds of doors for dialogue and conversation and, and opening of the heart. The other person may not change. But you do. And you experience the joy and the blessing that comes because you are choosing to obey Yeshua's instruction. And I see so many folks who come to this point and they turn away and they're shipwrecked. Not necessarily that they leave the Lord, but what God wants to do deeper in their heart is stymied for that period of time until they come to the point where they're saying, okay, Lord, I don't particularly like this. It's painful, but that's what you say. I'm going to do it. And it's a process. Once God begins to do that with you in one relationship, in one situation, you get the basics of how to do that in other situations. Lord knows you live long enough, you have more than one conflict in your lifetime. Let's see, how many can I count? And you get it. And there's blessing because you are not trying to protect yourself. You know who's your protector. And you know that the Lord simply wants you to follow in the path that he's prepared. I've also seen the positive, folks, where people are willing to take Yeshua's instructions seriously and obey him and be reconciled one to another. And I'll tell you what, it is a win-win proposition. Hearts are restored and the relationship is actually deeper than it was before. God doesn't hold us accountable for the other person. God holds us accountable for us. But we have the potential to win the other person, to see our relationship grow deeper, more mature, and above all, folks, to honor the Lord. Because He's called us to be one. And unity means that, that we endeavor to follow, that when there are things that come up, we endeavor to deal with them. We point our nose in the direction of Yeshua's Torah, Yeshua's instruction, and then see what happens. A healthy congregation, a healthy mishpacha, is one that learns to deal with conflict properly, biblically, according to Yeshua's instruction. I know there are more than one person here who has gone through that, who is going through that, let me just urge you to listen to what the Word of God is saying. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the 
commandments you give us that challenge us. Lord, your ways are ways of pleasantness and all your paths are peace. (coughs) Father God, we, as Yeshua instructed us, modeled for us, our food is to do your will. We pray, Lord God, for each one of us that at whatever point we are in, in this in this situation, Lord, we ask, Father God, that you would, that your ruach, your spirit, would convict us, show us, lead us into all truth, empower us, Lord God, to do your will. We pray that you will receive much honor and glory in our life as we learn what it means to be one as you are one, Lord. We bless your name, Lord God, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.